The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. I'm going to tell you some sayings that have been around for a long time. We're up. Okay, good. I'm going to share some, some sayings that have been around for and expressions that have been around for a long time. And you may know and you may have heard of some of these. Será, será. Whatever will be, will be. C'est la vie. And it's French for such is life. Or that's life. Alia esta es. In Latin, that is Latin for the die has been cast and nothing can be undone. And that's reference to life itself. And you've also heard of this one, especially recently. It is what it is. It is what it is. Deal with it. Deal with it. Man, this is a, a frustration uh, and, and the challenges of situations that, can, that we feel we cannot change, nor can be changed. Again, these are all expressions that convey the idea that some events and some outcomes in life are beyond our control. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that sometimes there are things in life that are beyond our control? Well, you should there are many things that are beyond our control. But the issue comes in as to what do we do about that? How do we handle that? Again, these sayings have been around forever and they've come from different countries because humanity has felt this. But why? Oh, there is another saying that I have left out and it is an expression. It goes like this. It says, the writing, the handwriting is on the Wall. Many, many Tekel Parsons. Our days are numbered. Our lives have been weighed out, judged. That's what's going on in our passage today. The king of Babylon, King Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, is hosting this great big banquet. Belshazzar is the king, and he's celebrating. He's celebrating with all the lords of his kingdom and their families. And so what does the king decide to do? He decides to bring out, this is the story in Scripture in chapter 5, he decides to bring out all the vessels that they had taken when they destroyed Jerusalem and the Jerusalem temple, the temple of God. They seized upon all the treasure that was there and the holy vessels that were used for worship, and they brought them to Babylon. Well, on this occasion, the king of Babylon decided to use those vessels to what? To drink wine, to celebrate. He uses holy vessels for his purposes, God's holy vessels for his purposes. 
So they pour wine in these vessels and they drink. And we're talking about over a thousand people. Because it says there were a thousand of his lords. And that doesn't include the wives and the concubines who came to this celebration. Well, guess what happens after they drank? Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appear before the king. The fingers of, on a human hand appear, just a hand appears before the king. And it writes on the plaster on the wall of the palace. It writes those words, those words we had just spoken. Many, many, Tekel, Parsons. Well, guess what? King what King Belshazzar says or does? He he turns as white as a ghost. His color changes. His his knees start knocking. Basically, he faints at the sight of what everybody saw taking place. The writing on the wall by a hand, the finger of, if you will, of God. That's what's taking place. And the words that were written were not understood by the king or, all, or none of his wise men understood what was written. They didn't understood, they did not understand what was going on by those words or what those words meant. So the king asked his wise men and the wise men didn't know. So what did they have to do? They had to summon uh, the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel had to come and interpret what these words meant. The, the words meant that the days of the king of Babylon were numbered. Not only that, that the kingdom of Babylon, the days of the kingdom of Babylon were numbered. They were numbered. And the life of the king of Babylon was being weighed in balance, so to speak. In other words, he's being judged. And, and because he's being judged, he's being, it's being determined, or it's telling him that it already has been determined that he is in wanting. In other words, he's lacking. In other words, he's going to be condemned. He's going to be judged and condemned for his behavior or sins. You see, the time of judgment had come. Remember what happened. Remember what happened with the, with the nation of Judah. The southern nation, the two kingdoms were split, and so the, the, the kingdom of Judah was being, was being punished 70 years plus before. The kingdom of Judah, Judah was being punished by God himself for their sins, for what they had done. And so God used a wicked and evil nation, a powerful nation that he allowed to get powerful. He used that evil nation, Babylon, as a weapon against his people in judgment. Remember that? So they came in and they destroyed the city. They destroyed the temple. They took the people captive. They marched them all the way to Babylon. And there they sat. Well, now it's some 70 years later, and the people of Babylon, the king of Babylon, and all the royalty that was there, 
for being told that their days are numbered. The judgment is coming. How's that possible? Why does God do things that way? Well, that's the prerogative of God. He is not the author of sin. He uses evil, believe it or not, to against us, to judge us here in the here and now. He used the evil nation. They're evil. They were evil regardless of what God did. They're just evil. They're broken. They're evil. They did. They are conquerors. And he allowed them, he allowed them to conquer his people. You know, sometimes it feels that that's what happens in our lives, that something comes up that we're not expecting that doesn't seem right and it is not right. And you feel that it, you may be getting cursed here. It, it, is, it is something that just doesn't go fit God's love, so to speak. So what you have to ask yourself is, what am I doing? What is going on? Is this a trial, a test? And it is. It is. But then sometimes what happens to, to us is sometimes we have done something to bring about that judgment. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about final judgment here. I'm talking about judgment at that moment, judgment for your actions. That's what's going on with, with, the, with God's people. God is judging them for their actions then and there, and he's using Babylon to do it. God does that even today. And he does it in our lives. Everyone is be, everyone will be held accountable. Everyone. And now the king of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon are being held accountable for what they did. That God allowed them to do. Now they're going to be held accountable. Doesn't it sound like the, the Garden of Eden? When Satan goes up and deceives Eve, he gets into a serpent and he deceives Eve. And so what does God do? He curses the serpent who was used, who allowed himself to get used, and he curses Satan himself for doing it. Even though he allowed the test to happen, he allowed Adam and Eve to be tested. That's how God works. The people of Babylon and the kingdom of Babylon are being judged for their evil behavior by God and are being held accountable, and that's what's going on. You see, that, that happens today. That goes on even today. God still holds our actions accountable. He also holds the actions of our nation accountable. Please do not believe that this nation will never fall. That's nonsense. Look at the divide that's going on in our nation today. Look at the extreme nonsense, sinfulness that's going on today. Okay, now it's going on in the nation. That means it's going on within the people in the nation. There are people acting, doing things to cause all these things to happen. God holds nations. He holds kingdoms. He holds people accountable. No one is exempt from that. Not the United States of America or anybody else. God tells us that our days are numbered, that we're being held, we will be held accountable. God takes action against our behavior. He judges, he condemns. So here's a big question that we have. Why does God do that? Well, there's something wrong with us. 
there's something wrong with us. Well, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? What is wrong with us? What's wrong with the human race? What's wrong with our society? Well, the Bible answers that question. It tells us that that's what's wrong with us is sin. We are sinners, and we sin because we are sinners. And because we are sinners, everybody, no one's exempt, okay? Because we are sinners, we are held accountable for our sins. We need to know and understand that God is holy and perfect. His judgment upon sinners is absolute. It's absolute. It is absolutely perfect. The sinful actions committed by sinners is a criminal act against God. Sin is described in the Bible as a transgression of God's law. 1 John 3, 4. As we look into the problem of sin and the answer to the question, what's wrong with us? Sin, sin, sinners, we are sinners. As we look into that problem, we need to seek answers to three questions. Where did it begin? Where are we now? And where will it end? So we start with the question, where did it begin? Now, quickly, I know what many of you are thinking, Adam and Eve. No, that's not where sin began. It began, as far as we can tell from Holy Scripture, it began before then. It began with an angel called Lucifer. Later, he would be called Satan. Lucifer was probably the most beautiful and powerful angel ever created. But not content with his position, he desired to be higher than God. And that was his downfall. And that was the beginning of sin, according to Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. But in another book, in the, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says about Lucifer. Listen to this. This is amazing stuff. And again, Lucifer would later be termed or called Satan. It is written in the, in the 28th chapter of uh, Ezekiel. It says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden. You were in Eden. Ah, he was there. He was there. He didn't just show up. He didn't sneak his way in there. He was already there. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Every precious stone that you can think of covered Lucifer. It goes on to say, you were an anointed guardian cherubim. God says, I placed you on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stone, in the midst of the stone of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. 
unrighteousness was found in Lucifer. Satan is the one who brought sin into the garden where he tempted, he tempted Adam and Eve. By lying, by deceiving them, telling them that if they ate from the forbidden fruit, from the forbidden tree, the forbidden fruit, they would be like God. And so what happens? Well, you know the story. Eve partook in the forbidden fruit. Eve was the first to partake in the forbidden fruit, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then what did she do after that? She also gave some to her husband who was with her. When she did that, and he ate. What a dummy. No, that's easy for me to say. I probably would have done the same thing. He was perfect, remember? But he didn't do anything. He was with her when she was deceived. He was with her when she ate of the forbidden fruit, and then he ate. Then she gave to him, and he ate. There has been an interesting dilemma that has been around for, the, for centuries, and you may have heard about it. The theologians have pondered why it was that Eve was the first to eat of the forbidden fruit. Why was it Eve? Why did she eat before Adam? Well, see, the answer is obvious. Who was created first? God created Adam from the what? The dust of the earth, the, of the dust of the ground. He created Adam. And then from Adam, he cre God created what? Who? Eve. To be his helper, to be with them, to, 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 he was to lead, she was to follow, she was to help. That is the role. These are roles. It's not anybody better than anybody. These are just roles that God gave Adam and Eve, man and woman. But what if? Now we know that Eve was the first one to partake, but what if Adam would have eaten first? And then he would have said, Eve, eat. Well, Eve was there to follow and help. If she would have eaten, if she would have been second to eat, she would have had an excuse for God. When God questioned her as to what did you do, she would have said, I was obedient to my husband like I'm supposed to be. That's a pretty good excuse. She was being obedient to God's will to be obedient to her husband. But it didn't happen that way, did it? It happened the other way. See, that's, that's the word of God. It's beyond us sometimes. We don't think about things like this, but that's what happened. Eve ate and Adam was there and he ate too. That sin alienated us from, alienated us, all of humanity, from God, our creator. And note, note this, that sin, unrighteousness, sin, was found in Satan, in Lucifer. It wasn't found in us. We were deceived by Satan. Now, we're still accountable for what we did because we disobeyed. But there is a difference. There is a difference. While sin was found in Lucifer and a third of the angels, God found sin in and they were booted out of heaven. Humanity was deceived. Some theologians believe that that's why God had mercy on us. Because we were deceived into disobeying him, committing sin. 
but we're still responsible. We're still responsible for our actions. So where are we now in regards to sin? Well, since the time of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and his commands, sin has been passed down throughout generations, throughout generations and generations. We, as Adam's descendants, have inherited sin. Inherited sin. That's what's called inherited sin. We have inherited Adam's sin. We were born into a sinful world, a sinful environment, if you will. Some people refer to that as original sin. It is our spiritual and moral condition, fallen condition, that inclines us toward committing sin. We're inclined to commit sin because we have inherited sin within us. Romans 5.12 says, tell, uh, tells us that through Adam, sin entered the world, and so death was passed on to all men because the wages of sin is death, uh, Romans 6.23. So where are we now? Well, the Bible tells us that we're in the final days, the last days. The only thing left to happen, according to Holy Scripture, is Christ's return, the end of time. That's where we're at. We're in the last days. Sin has continued to get worse as history, human history, has gone on. It's continually has gotten worse. Now, how do we know that? Well, because Scripture describes sin. Scripture describes what many theologians call the doctrine of depravity when it comes to sin. The doctrine of total depravity. And don't get, that's not, it. I mean, that's just a term they came up with, but let me tell you what that means. Now, total depravity, humans have total depravity, and that is different from utter depravity. Utter depravity, two different things. Total depravity means that everyone, because of sin, is deprived and corrupt in the totality of our being. We are all deprived and corrupt in the totality of our being. In other words, there is no part of us that is left untouched by sin. No part of us is left untouched by sin. Sins, corruption, is said to affect our mind, our emotions, our will and parts of our human being, other parts of our human being, okay? So it's corrupted everything. There's nothing in us that's not corrupted, that's not been corrupted by sin. Total depravity does not mean that everyone is, at, is as wicked as they can be. That's not total depravity. Total depravity, I'll repeat it because this, this is debate. Um, people have debated this, and I'm, I'm trying to clear it up so we can understand that total depravity does not mean that everyone is as wicked as they can be. That is utter depravity, not total depravity. There's a difference. Total depravity renders individuals morally incapable of choosing God. We, in our own selves, in our own being, in our own fallen state of being, cannot choose God because we're depraved, because we have sin in us. And we cannot be saved without divine intervention. There must be divine intervention. This also means that sin has infiltrated 
humans. All of the individual, everyone on the planet has been infiltrated. So if everyone on the planet has been infiltrated by sin, society, our communities, our cities, our government, everything has been infiltrated by sin. You know, people talk about there can't be, you know, uh, what, systematic, uh, you know, evil or something in, in, in embedded in government entities. Yes, there can be. There's, there's people in there. And, and they're deprived. They're, they have sin in them. And so there can be all these, there are all these isms that come up. The, the, the isms that you heard all about, all these isms that come up, these, these what, racisms and, and classisms and sexisms and all the isms you can come up with, the bad things of the world. Those are real because everything involves simple people. DPS, the Department of Public Safety, set up to enforce laws and hire the right people. There's corruption in there because there are people in there. I was a part of that and I was a sinner. So that's why everything is broken. That's why we live in a divided nation. I mean, politics, it's all broken. There are people in there. We live in a divided nation that's trying to kill each other. We're not understanding that those we disagree with are broken, just like us, just like us. So now, where does this end? Well, it ends because sin has to be brought to an end. And how is this accomplished? How is sin brought to an end? Sinners must be judged and condemned. And how will this happen? Well, it'll happen on the final days. It'll happen before the judgment seat of Christ. For behold, he is coming amid the clouds, and every eye shall see him. Even those who pierced him, all the people of the earth will lament and wail on account of him. Yes. Amen. If you're in Christ, they said, ah, said, ah, what will be, will be, is not your philosophy in life. You are glory bound. If you're not in Christ, the days are numbered. Meany, meany, Teco, and Parson. The writing is on the wall. If you're not in Christ, the days are numbered. The end is near. And the judgment of sin awaits you. Your only hope is to come to Christ in faith and live. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we do rejoice in your... You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at stephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.